0: Your film is now ready to be shown.
1: Good evening. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. This is a special episode of the podcast. On October 7th, Tech Policy Press hosted a mini-conference called Reconciling Social Media and Democracy. While various solutions to problems at the intersection of social media and democracy are under consideration, from regulation to antitrust action, some experts are enthusiastic about the opportunity to create a new social media ecosystem that relies less on centrally managed platforms like Facebook and more on decentralized, interoperable services and components. The fourth segment of the event focused on the opportunities and challenges to building middleware solutions that may thrive in a more decentralized social media ecosystem. The two panelists for this session are Tracy Chu, founder and CEO of BlockParty, a company that builds anti-harassment tools against online abuse, and Michael Masnik, the editor of TechDirt and the author of Protocols, Not Platforms, A Technological Approach to Free Speech, a paper we discussed a few times during the event. Tracy and Michael will share their thoughts, followed by discussion. Well, we're going to move to straight to the next section, which is on building the future. So uh, Corey's just described this, uh, you know, possible world where uh, compatibility is competitive. Uh, ComCom is uh, a reality. And we're going to talk to a couple of people now who are uh, thinking about how to build that world and thinking about interesting experiments in it. Uh, Tracy Chu, founder and CEO of Block Party, a software engineer, a diversity advocate. And I've invited her here today to tell us a little bit about uh, her company that she's starting, and thoughts and, and thinking that's gone into it, the strategy she's got, um, and her kind of broader thoughts on this. Um, so, going to let you kind of you know have an opening salvo, and then I'll ask you a couple questions about it, uh, and then after that, going to bring in uh, Michael Maznick, uh, who of course is a founder and CEO editor of TechDirt. Uh, and he has a couple of things in mind uh, to do with what's going on out there in the world that indicate this potential future as well. Um, so, thank you for joining us in the evening in London. Tell us about Block Party.
0: Thank you. Uh, so, with Block Party, we are building consumer tools for online safety and anti harassment. The way that our current product works is you'd sign up for Block Party, link your Twitter account, set some filtering rules, and then Block Party runs in the background to filter out things that you may not want to see. Anything that's filtered out ends up in a folder on Block Party. You can go check it out later if you want to. Um, So a lot of the premise of our company is giving people back control, being able to um, control what they see and when they want to see it. Um, The immediate use case is solving harassment, which is a very big pain point. But the generalized version of this is wherever you're going online, you should be able to be in control of that experience.
1: Uh, One of the things that's um, been discussed, you know, quite a lot today is, uh, you know, this idea of the sort of the power struggle between firms like yours, which are attempting to kind of work with much larger entities, figure out a way to kind of create value in a context where, you know, clearly there's an asymmetry. Um, How have you navigated that in trying to build what is effectively a middleware solution?
0: When I was first starting the company, it was a big concern of, of my, like what the relationship with platforms would be like. It's actually been much better than expected. Right now, we're working with Twitter. We do want to go cross-platform eventually. Um, but with Twitter right now, they've actually been quite helpful. And there seems to have been a bit of a sea change internally where they're recognizing now how important it is to have other folks working on solving this problem with them. So obviously, there is still some responsibility internally for them to address this, but they're now starting to... Think about how to empower developers and like these third party applications to help give consumers more choice. And the framing of it, I think, is really like with applications like Block Party, which are built on top of the Twitter API. There are some folks who are just going to have a better experience now. Like they would never be able to get that through what Twitter would build um, internally and what makes sense for them to prioritize. Some parts of it are that uh, maybe these applications are too niche for Twitter itself to prioritize. In other cases, they actually prefer a third party to build some of these things. So I'm hopeful that other platforms will kind of follow Twitter's lead in terms of this, opening up the APIs a little bit more. And specifically when I'm talking about the APIs, it's sort of like moderation safety constructs, things like muting, blocking, reporting. Um, When these things are available through the API, it allows third party applications like Block Party to build on top of them and give users just a lot more options in how they want to engage.
1: So, can you maybe just give us a little more depth on specifically the, the technical interface of what you've built at the moment, um, and how mm-hmm. how complex that is? Uh, you know, wh- where the problems might lie, and what the platform could do maybe to to make it easier if it were in their interest to do so.
0: Yeah, the way our integration works right now is pretty straightforward on top of the uh, publicly available API endpoint. So. Um, In order to synchronize data from Twitter, we're just pulling very regularly all the at mentions, replies, um, and a bunch of other data from Twitter, like the list of follows, mutes, blocks, user data that we're gonna make filtering decisions on. And if uh, a user that has been tweeting at you doesn't pass your filtering rules, we'll issue a mute call through the Twitter API, which means that it will propagate through to all of the interfaces uh, that you might be accessing Twitter through. You continue using Twitter as normal. Um, the things that are critical there are that we can access all the data we need to make the decisions and that we can issue the mute calls. Um, and then additionally, once we've pulled all this into our system, users can come to Block Party and like choose to block all those folks as well. So being able to programmatically block is important. Um, the fact that we can pull the data and be able to issue these mute and block calls is is kind of a critical for this. There are some other things that would be helpful to have. Um, Right now, the reporting API endpoint is not very powerful and it's mainly for abuse, sorry, for spam, not for the kind of use case that we are thinking of. Um, In general, I think what's critical for platforms to implement for block parties to build on top of it is, well, internally, they need to have these sorts of trust and safety constructs, these moderation constructs like muting and blocking. There are some places that they have not thought through these solutions. So, for example, with Twitter on DMs, um, the abstractions around what is a request and what is in the main inbox and whether or not you can move things back and forth is not very well thought through. So it's very difficult to build on top of that. So there's kind of a core product piece that the platform did to implement first. And then exposing those through the API is important for third parties to, be able to build on top of it.
1: Tell us just a little bit more about the inspiration as, as well for the for the company and the type of community you're building around it. Because I think it's important, I don't know, for people to think about somewhat you know, a lot of people imagine these this this realm of middleware. If we, you know, move more substantially in this direction, that it will, uh, to some extent, represent the interests of a variety of specific communities.
0: Sure. So, my background that led me to working on Block Party. I mean, the number one thing is I deal with a lot of online harassment myself, and so it was a very personal pain point. I wanted to address some of the frustrations around it uh, have been that it's been very difficult to get things actioned unless. You have a personal connection. And I'm privileged enough to know people who work at some of these companies, but to see that I could get special access and like, you know, accounts taken down just because I knew folks, feels very unfair that this should be something that is widely available. Uh, the other part of my experience that is pretty relevant here is I've worked as an engineer at a number of different social media platform companies. I interned at Facebook way back in 2008. I was on the very early engineering teams at Quora and at Pinterest and worked on not only moderation tools, but also like engineering projects across these platforms, everything from home feed and search and recommendations to like all the other sort of like product features and have an understanding of how product decisions are made at platform companies. Interestingly, one thing that I identified quite early as an engineer at some of these companies was that there was not very much diversity on these teams, which led to, a different kind of prioritization around features and and sometimes like a lack of perspective around what abuses or uh, potential misuses of the technology might be. One example I like to give is uh, when I joined Quora, the first thing I wanted to build was the block button because I was already getting harassed by somebody on the site, despite it only having a few thousand users. And I was very motivated to make this person the first person ever blocked on Quora. Um, but it was that very personal motivation, which also made me realize that if I weren't there, um, it was very unlikely that the team would have prioritized building this. Um, I've also done quite a bit of diversity and inclusion work, kind of related to this. Ironically, or not ironically, kind of ties into why I get so much more harassment now. Is talking about these things, but it—I truly believe it is a lack of diversity, inclusion, representation on many of these early teams um, amongst the engineers, product managers, designers who are building these platforms um, that led to just like complete misses in terms of thinking through what are the potential impacts of the technology or how it might be misused and then building in the safeguards against it. Uh, Many of the the folks that we are helping the most I think now with our product um, do come from like communities, marginalized communities. If you even count like women as a marginalized community like that, that that's a big one. Uh, A lot of women get tons of harassment online we're looking at like journalists, female journalists, female politicians, female activists. Um, other people from marginalized communities often do also receive elevated levels of harassment. Abuse or harassment might silence them otherwise. Um, and it is the folks that we most want to hear from, oftentimes. Like, the, you know, think about during the pandemic, like the scientists and doctors and health experts who are like leading us through this, getting tons of harassment. Um, climate activists who are trying to bring attention to how important it is that we act urgently, journalists who are speaking truth to power. It's all these people who are are being targeted um, often from marginalized communities. And we want to build these defenses and give people back this
1: control. And there's a question in the chat actually um, that leads into my next question, which is uh, uh, whether you're a for-profit or nonprofit company. Just wanna clarify that for the record.
0: We are for-profit, and our thinking around this is we're building something that we think is useful to people and is creating value, Um, and I mean, it's a consumer product, and the way to build something that is ultimately scalable and sustainable is, for for this product, we want to build a for-profit entity.
1: So, going to bring in uh, Mike Madsen here in just a second um, to, to talk about some of the other types of experiments that, that we see out there in the world. But just to follow up on that, is there a, a vision of the future with regard to this question of the potential decentralization of some aspects of social media um, or unbundling or middleware um, that you or uh, your investors have that you think um, you, you know you can describe uh, here? Is there is there do you have a sense of a kind of zeitgeist at the moment or a direction that, that might be, where these things might be going, um, maybe slightly informed by what's happening in governments, but also uh, generally by you know the interests of other entrepreneurs and investors?
0: I think I'm hearing more of it on the policy side and kind of people pushing for the big platforms to give up some of the know, like ultimate control they have right now. Uh, it does feel like we are moving towards a world where people want to have more control over their experiences. Um, and it should not be fully dictated by the platform companies deciding what is okay or not okay. One analogy I've used um, sometimes to describe this is you know, some of the platforms will say there's freedom of speech. like We don't want to be in the business of censoring people. At the same time, individuals should have the freedom to not listen to what they don't want to listen to, particularly when it's of the for- in the form of like abuse and harassment being hurled at them. Um, so there's a, f- a few things here. Like The platforms may not want to institute very strict standards around like what is allowed or not allowed, um, and, and there's a pretty big space between like what is definitely not okay, like you know, child sexual exploitation, death threats, what somebody may or may not want to engage with, um, so putting more of that choice into the hands of consumers seems to be the way to go as opposed to having the platforms be the ones to determine in all cases like what is okay, what is not okay, when they may want to apply that standard across the entire platform, it's just not going to apply in all cases, it will feel wrong. Uh, Whereas if you put more control back into individuals, things can be calibrated to the communities that they're a part of or what they're most comfortable with personally.
1: So, I just one last question for you, Uh, and this is maybe just more specific to Block Party. But you know, you know, it's got this name Block Party. It almost sounds like you know a party on some level. But um, this is serious (laughs) stuff. Serious, serious stuff you're dealing with. You know how how do you kind of uh, I don't know contend with that uh, as a founder, and then also. Uh, in building a team,
0: yeah. When picking the name, one of the one of the things we were thinking through was, you know, it is a very serious topic, but we also want to bring some levity or lightness to it and make social media a better place. So it should be a place that is pleasant to be on. And you know, right now, online society is it, it can't be our online activity cannot be separated from offline world anymore. Like everything is so integrated. Like just being a part of this world in any meaningful way you have to have an online presence um so kind of acknowledging that it is a part of life like not everything we do is just dealing with the really negative stuff like we are thinking about like the positive value that people are getting from social media and trying to allow them to access that um, so we wanted to have that positive bit as well um, it does play into a lot of our branding like some of the other um, anti-harassment services or companies that have been out there if you look at their branding as like very black and red and very warlike and we wanted to come away from that and not treat it as if it's uh, not a serious topic, but it doesn't have to be so dark and and negative as well.
1: Excellent. Um, And just really quickly before we bring Mike up, are there, uh, is there a place where people can find you?
0: I am on Twitter too much um, at T-R-I-K-E-T-O-R-A. You can also find Block Party on Twitter at Block Party App
1: underscore. Excellent. Um, Thank you. And Trace, you're going to stick around for some uh, Q&A with Mike uh, here in just a minute as well. Great. Um, So I'm going to invite Mike, I guess. Have you turned on your phone? or your uh, camera there, Mike? I'm here. There you are. Hey, sir. Hello. Um, And I have to, in particular, thank you because... Um, I know that you uh, are running your own event today. Uh, for no,
2: we postponed it.
1: <laughs> oh, you did. Okay, not because of me, but for some other reason. For, I assume.
2: for a variety of reasons, but but the uh, the opportunity to be here and participate here was was it went into the decision making process.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm very grateful to you, and um, most of you will uh, know Michael Masnick from uh, his work at TechDirt, uh, and of course, he's also on Twitter quite a lot, uh, like Tracy, and unfortunately, <laughs> like myself um but i'm gonna post into the chat here also an essay that he referred to uh obliquely in the discussion earlier uh protocols not platforms um this is a a good essay to to read when you get a chance if you haven't already to kind of get a sense of his thinking in this regard and uh, i wanted to invite uh, mike to kind of do two things one obviously share his thoughts on this this future, this potential future, but then also to talk a little bit about some of the experiments that he sees in the world, uh, like Tracy's, that point to green shoots or the possibilities. So, Mike, I'll turn it over to you.
2: Sure. Yeah. And, and um, uh, I, I want to not just Reiterate that that what Tracy is doing is is really interesting, but it it's really worth checking out. I think it's one of the most interesting examples that we've seen. Um, I use it. I I like it. I think it it's hard to describe how much sort of careful thought appears to have gone into the product and how well it's designed to accomplish what it's what it's setting out to do. So I think I think it's you know. If you weren't convinced already by by tracy, it's it's a really uh, thoughtful design of of a product that builds on uh, you know on a tool that so many of us use and so many of us spend so much time on. Um, and I think that it, it is a really great example and it's it's a useful one to to be thinking about this in that you know what what Tracy and her team have done is, you know, take a platform that we're all sort of stuck in for, for better or for worse and said, you know, there are problems here. And for a variety of reasons, some good, some potentially bad, Twitter itself is not solving these problems. But Tracy and her colleagues have, have a view on how, how that could be better. And rather than having to go and apply to work at Twitter and get a job with the power to change Twitter, they're saying we can build this as a third party app and go in and make the Twitter experience better. And what I'd like to see in a world that I think would be a better world is where that is happening on a much wider scale. And that as you see different services and platforms and tools that you use and rely on and both like and hate, um, that if you see a way to to build a better part of it or to make use of the the sort of services that it provides and, and provide something better on top of it, that you could do that. Uh, and that you could do that easily. And right now, as sort of as Tracy was explaining, she's somewhat reliant on the nature of the API. And some of you know what Twitter allows is is pretty good. And you know, uh, lots of people know the history where Twitter was good about allowing third party developers, and then suddenly was not good about it, and now has sort of gone back to being good again. Uh, and hopefully, they've learned their lesson, and it feels like they they have, and that they're going to continue to be relatively good about these things. But there's always the risk and the fear that that they could backslide and go in the other direction, and then you have you know uh, other platforms. You know, Facebook is sort of notoriously bad. I don't know how many people saw there's a Slate article today, which is somewhat horrifying about how Facebook. There was a guy who who developed a um, a service to let you unfollow people on Facebook. It's actually it was actually another sort of really clever intervention to make your Facebook experience better and uh facebook banned him for life and threatened to sue him uh which is you know a, a, a not good experience and facebook has a, a fairly long history of these kinds of interventions in which anything that 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 anyone who sort of tries to make the facebook platform better uh they might interfere with them or do bad stuff to them and i think that's really really problematic and um it's a point that Corey has has raised plenty of times as well um and, you know, a lot of his ideas around, you know, adversarial interoperability, competitive compatibility, however you want to describe it, around getting, getting past that and not letting the companies themselves be, be so bad about this. And so I think there's, there's a lot of really important stuff that, that can be done. And, you know, and, and some of this goes back to um, the example that both Corey and I talk about a lot was the power case or Power.com or Power Ventures, however you want to refer to it, um, where this company tried to build an interface uh, in sort of the late 2000s era um, that would be an interface for all of your different social media properties and that you wouldn't have to you know, go to to Facebook and Twitter, and and there were others around at that time, um, and and sort of you know go to each one and sort of pay attention to them. But but you could build this sort of central centralized interface to all of them, and Facebook sued them, uh, claiming that it was a CFAA violation for. Uh, power to log into your Facebook account with your permission and you providing the credentials, they said that that was an unauthorized login. And unfortunately they won at court. Um, there have been a bunch of other CFA decisions that might impact that if that's sort of ever challenged again. But there are a couple of very problematic aspects to that that I think have really, really limited how much these, these kinds of companies can, can, do, uh, can do to sort of provide these better services, right? You know, as long as you're using the API and you're using it in a way that is allowed, that's okay. Uh, but that leaves out a lot of things. And I'm sure that, you know, speaking for Tracy a little bit here, I'm sure there are things that she would love to be able to do with Twitter that that Twitter doesn't currently allow with the API or, or with some other platforms as, as they expand pla- past just Twitter. And I think that should not only be allowed, but it should be encouraged and that lots of people and companies should be able to, to build on it. Um, so that's some of the the thinking behind... You know, the, the protocols not platforms paper is sort of a, an ideal approach in, in sort of a different world. If we were if we were not in the world that we're in today, you know, wouldn't it be nice if, if everything was built in this way that anyone could build on them and anyone could build different, you know, different layers and different tools that, that fit into it. Um, but, you know, recognizing the world that we're in today, I would, I would like to see things move in a way that allows for, for much more of that. Now, at the same time, to actually answer the question, which I've sort of been dancing around and didn't quite get to, I think there are a lot of really interesting projects going on right now to try and build that better world. Um, and a lot of them, for better or for worse, and in many cases, probably for worse, are happening in the crypto space. Um, there are people who are building these sort of new, new projects that are really interesting and that are theoretically really cool. And if we didn't have a world with Facebook and Twitter and all these other things out there already where all the users are, there might be really interesting. The problem is that, you know, everybody is on the, these other platforms. Nobody for the most part is using these the sort of, you know, mostly crypto based platforms. Um, there are some projects that are getting some traction, uh, You know. Uh, you know, Macedon, which is obviously is not a crypto project. You know, some other things like uh, projects around Scuttlebutt and, and a few other things. And now, you know, the potentially interesting one is Twitter potentially experimenting with this stuff with with uh, Blue Sky, and you know that is a project that you know Twitter announced two years ago um, that they're going to experiment with building a protocol setup for social media. And, uh, and hopefully. The way, the way they, they said it is like they sort of they're setting up a team of engineers to sort of work on it, uh, and assuming something good comes out of it, Twitter wants to adopt this protocol, and then anyone else in theory could also adopt that protocol. Um, it took them a really long time. They went through a very long process of talking to different people and sort of trying to get visions. They finally, just a couple of months ago, announced uh, a head of that project, who's Jay Graber. Um, if folks don't know Jay, Jay is wonderful, incredibly thoughtful. Has a vision for all of this that is incredibly compelling, um, and and I'll say, you know, uh, I, I've seen Jay's vision for for what she wants Blue Sky to be. Uh, it's somewhat different than I think my own vision was, but but she was compelling enough that I'm I'm sort of convinced that she's probably right, and I I was not. Uh, it, it's and so. That's just getting started now uh, in terms of how they're setting up blue sky. They've set up a community um, which is in discord and matrix and people are discussing stuff and it's a little bit messy as sort of all communities can be. Um, But, but it's, it's really compelling for a few reasons. One of which is that, you know, as I said, a lot of these interesting projects don't have any users and a lot of the projects with all the really interesting users aren't willing to do anything interesting in theory, if, if Blue Sky is successful, Twitter can bring the users. And then I think that becomes a really interesting experiment to have both of those components together. And with that, I, I think I kind of got to your question somewhere in there.
1: Yes, you did. Is there anything else out there you're excited about in the, in the crypto space? Um, we, we haven't talked much about crypto today. Uh, mm-hmm. we, no one's brought up um, you know decentralized autonomous organizations or, or any of these newfangled things that some investors are excited about. Um, anything else on the on on the on the blockchain yeah. or in that future?
2: I, I mean, I think there are a lot of interesting things. There, there's a lot of junk too, like, and, and that's like the problem right now is like you can't just dive in and say like, oh yeah, like crypto is going to solve it or blockchain is going to solve it or you know, I, I, a lot of those projects are are disasters and and um and and will be and I and I think. The really interesting thing and, and i'm doing some writing now on it that hopefully will, should be out soon is sort of trying to find that that middle ground between the sort of extremely mercenary nature of most of the the blockchain world uh and the more altruistic view of like open internet uh open source you know building a better society kind of world um because there there is a a sort of meeting point. and And the Venn diagram might be small, but there's something really interesting in there where you can build better tools and and, and better setups um, that are not driven entirely by just the purely mercenary uh, speculative nonsense that, that un- unfortunately uh, is involved with most, most of the crypto world right now. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I'm not going to like name particular projects. There are different ones that I've seen that, that you know, all of them are so early stage or so j- just being implemented now that it's hard to say like which ones are actually going to catch on. Um, but I do know that there are there are people who are working on interesting projects, and I'm sort of trying to pay attention to which ones are actually interesting and which ones are just you know um, sort of garbage fires like a lot of <laughs> a lot of the crypto projects become.
1: Great. So, um, Tracy, I'll bring you uh, back in as well, just to kind of like bring the two of you uh, in into conversation with one another. You know, one of the things, Mike, that, that you said in your piece on platforms, not protocols, you know, to be clear, this approach- pr- that Protocols, not platforms. Well, I'm sorry, I've done the same thing Corey did. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> protocols, not platforms, is to say, you know, this is an approach that would bring us back to the way the internet used to be. And of course, you know, you're a prototypical blogger. I'm a blogger too, but uh, so of course we'd be into that. But is that is 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 that kind of like uh, you know uh, primordial state? You know, really something that we should we should be be looking for at this point? Is that you know was that all great as well?
2: Um, no, I mean it wasn't all great, right? There, there were all sorts of problems in in, in the world in, in the world at that time too, um, and some of this I try and address in the paper as well. That you know there were issues with the way that played out, Um, you know, to to some extent I sort of see it as there's a sort of of pendulum that goes back and forth between sort of more centralized systems and more decentralized systems. Um, And there are good things about each of them and there are lessons to be learned about each of them. And so my hope is that in sort of moving back to a more decentralized protocol based world, we can take the lessons of, both what worked in in sort of the early days of the internet and what didn't work um, and try and get more of what did work, sort of more user empowerment, um, more control, less, you know, by, by individuals, more, you know, power to the edges of the network, less sort of siloed data, less controlled by, by, you know, just some individual companies, um, but also take in the lessons of what has worked well uh, in, you know, the last 15 you know, 10 to 15 years in terms of like, you know, much better user interface, much better user interaction, um, different interesting tools and services that have come out of it. And also, you know, more interesting business models. You know, some of the problems of the original world of, of protocols uh, was that, you know, you were almost wholly reliant on people who are just, you know, truly passionate believers in that. And that, that can get you uh, to a certain distance but that gets trampled when, you know, a giant company comes in and says like, well, I can build my own version of this, sort of lock it up, have all the data, extract all the value from it. Um, and, and you know, and that's a problem. Whereas if you can put in place better business models as well, that are more aligned with the end users having the, the control and the power themselves, rather than making sure that, that that all goes to the central provider, I think you can create something a lot more interesting, but you know, a lot of that is theoretical at this point.
1: Tracy, is there an ideal state that you have in your mind, um, you know, either past or future? What are you working towards? What do you want to, what do you want to work towards?
0: This is, I think, beyond the scope of block party. <laughs> um, but I've been working through this like theory of what the ideal online society might look like, or it's not even purely online. It's like uh, an overlapped with offline world. Um, when I look at, the internet right now, there's just really no governance. And it feels like this, the state of lawlessness um, where there's no rules that are commonly agreed upon. There's no enforcement of the rules that we do kind of know exist. Um, The only type of justice we have is mob justice. Uh, People are left pretty defenseless. Um, And it seems like we're just lacking the sort of governance that does help to keep society functioning normally in the offline world. Um, obviously there's challenges to just trying to port a governance model from offline world into the online sphere. Um, but I think we need to be thinking at that scale of, we need a whole different sort of like governance model. When I think about the role that Block Party is playing right now, it's basically in this uh, lawlessness, like we give you a little bit of defensive, like you have like a private security person that kind of comes along with you. Um, but it would be better if, Generally, there are more safety as opposed to you need private security. I don't actually know what the answers are, but that is kind of like the, <laughs> the world I'd rather get to. Um, people talk a lot about things like accountability without really defining what that means. And to me, accountability means that you must have some set of agreed upon rules and then um, some idea of like what uh, punishment there is for violating those rules. And the rules can be at the level of like laws in the offline world where like their things are like. Much very clearly like not okay or okay and there's also things like norms like social norms even if something is not illegal if you're going to be shunned by society for doing weird things like you may not want to do them so the sort of cost to you but the transgression is like uh, ostracization i don't think we have we have really any of this online right now like the rules that you know that different platforms have are usually pretty hidden um not transparent at all they change all the time. They're really only like the moderators who are given these like kind of books of rules that they have to moderate based on that know what is there. Enforcement is very uneven, um, which kind of makes it so that the rules basically don't apply. And the social norms are terrible. It feels like the social norms right now are like, be really rude all the time, and it's okay. <laughs> um, so I like a lot of these things to shift towards a slightly more civil society like we have offline, not to say the offline society is perfect by any means, but there's slightly more structure there that I would like to see online.
1: Mike, do you think this direction gets us towards that on some level? I mean, I, I...
2: yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that I hope again, you know, a lot of this is speculative and, and I'm guessing too, but like, you know, if we had a world that, that allowed for, you know, more experimentation, more people being able to build on, and, and provide, you know, better tools um, for people and their, their social media experiences is that you also get much more experimentation and innovation to go along with it. So that we're not reliant on, you know, just Twitter setting the rules or just Facebook setting the rules, but you can have, you know, a lot of experiments and a lot of them are likely to fail. But as you get those experiments, you might begin to get a better sense of what actually works. And it might be different, different things will work for different communities and different People and different communities and different, you know, countries and, and cultures will have different sort of levels of what they're um, happy with and what they're not happy with. Uh, but allowing for that experimentation to happen rather than having just a set of rules that you know are, are set, you know, within like fifty miles of where I'm sitting right now, um, I, I think leads to a better solution. And and you know, I think back to, you know, I, I can't remember when I can't remember what. Book it was in, but Clay Shirky many years ago had written this thing where he talked about, you know, the, um, the rise of the printing press, you know, whatever, 500 years ago, uh, where, um, you know, people know like sort of what happened before the printing press and people have this sense of what happened after the printing press, but there's like that sort of, in that case, it was like a hundred year period in which everyone was sort of trying to come to terms with the fact that the printing press exists and suddenly things can happen. And it was crazy. And, and you know, I mean, there was a lot of societal upheaval that happened in that time as people were sort of coming to terms with the fact that that the printing press was allowing, you know, people other than the scribes in the church to, to write stuff down. Um, and it, it took a while for society itself to sort of come to terms with the fact that, like, you know, the printing press exists and what that means and I kind of feel like we're in that period right now with the internet and what Tracy was saying about like not having these these sort of rules or sense of governance I mean there are attempts and there are things that are happening and and but we haven't settled on anything and everything is changing so rapidly that you know I, I'm hoping that you know we're sort of beginning to see the light out of the sort of crazy, you know, revolutionary period where nothing makes sense towards one that where it it settles down a little bit and people do begin to get a sense of like, these are the social norms. This is what is acceptable and this is what is not acceptable um, and how it's all, how it's all going to work. And so again, like I think more rapid experimentation and allowing for more people to try more things um, hopefully gets us to that point much faster, but you know, who knows
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, obviously it's it's later in in Tracy's evening. And we've been talking (laughs) now uh, on this uh, in this conversation for for nearly three hours so we can go into some maybe uncharted territory slightly. Um, Clearly, democracies need to evolve as well. That seems to be the case. And yet um, I I really want to kind of maybe slightly bring it back to the news of the week with the Facebook whistleblower and the revelations that that came out of those discussions, um, you know, looking through the whistleblower uh, disclosures to the SEC, it's really some fascinating stuff in there about the types of studies and reports that, that Facebook's doing with regard to content moderation, with regard to addressing online harms. Um, and, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. One is, you know, good Lord, this is a, an incredible amount of, of social engineering and, and manipulation of, of content. That's going on behind the scenes with no, uh, you know, uh, no accountability and no transparency on the one level. And on the other hand, uh, you know, of course, this is an incredibly expensive endeavor. You know, uh, Nick Clegg likes to say a thousand PhDs that are involved in this. Um, can we imagine that this this world of middleware or unbundling, we can get to a place where it can it can support that kind of endeavor, that kind of, of social science backed effort? Uh,
2: I, w-
1: Maybe it's too hard a question and you, yeah, I, I, you can, I, you can, uh, a big question. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can definitely uh try to cut it down or, or critique the question itself.
2: I mean, I, I think there, there are a number of different elements within that question and, and it might be w- interesting or useful to, to break them apart. Uh, I'm not sure we want to take all the time that would be necessary to fully break them down, but like, um, it shouldn't be up to face so in theory it shouldn't be up to facebook to have to do all of that work and to to employ all those people right you know a, a, a better setup in a better world is one in which you know and this has come up a lot in the discussion of the whistleblower and and the research that they've done is that you know if facebook had made that that information and data more open You know specifically to researchers and academics who could then take it and go through um, do an analysis uh, point out what is happening without it having to go through the facebook filter uh, or or in some cases you know be locked down and sort of kept within facebook i think that would be really really valuable Uh, unfortunately facebook is you know they they do have their research programs and and you know they they always throw their 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 comms people out and say like, well, of course we have this program. We work with all of these different academics and and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, they're still choosing, picking and choosing sort of who they're working with and how they're working with them. And um, that's not enough. And so I, I think that, you know, the other thing is like, if you move to a more decentralized world in which, people had more control over their own information, you know, the, the information that they're sort of producing and creating, um, then that also becomes a much easier thing where you can you can route that information to different researchers as well or make that information available uh, to the different researchers and allow for that that sort of stuff to happen and not be reliant on one giant company to make all the decisions around that or not to have to hire the, you know, the whatever... PhDs that they need to hire, um, there are other ways in which those services could be offered and, and it it shouldn't be the companies who have a, a really, you know, uh, really strong bias for what, what they want that research to say, or at least, you know, which parts of it to, to get out to the public.
1: So the, the open versus the closed model, um, Tracy, is that part of your roadmap? Are you thinking about that kind of thing? How to bring in uh, social sciences, work with outside researchers, think, things of that nature? Are those types of insights you think eventually something you'd like to port into Block Party?
0: Absolutely, I think it's maybe one of the the, the things like I find most uh, distressing sometimes about the tech industry is not incorporating all this knowledge <laughs> that's coming from the social sciences and all these other researchers. So I would love to be attuned to like, what's happening in terms of research and like where um, people are, are finding like possibilities to do better. And also um, I, mean, I think there's a lot of researchers been calling out some of the issues that uh, we see and the tech companies have been able to largely ignore all of them. Um, I would like us to be more in a push and pull where there's a bit more steering of where technology is going um, instead of just, technologists who don't quite know what their impact on society is going to be um, making all the decisions.
2: I think that's a, it's it's a really good point that, that Tracy was making. And I think that, you know, if, if we had things more open and allowed for more people to be able to build stuff like what, what Tracy's doing um, we can see different kinds of solutions. And right now, so many of the solutions are, you know, again, sort of created by, a bunch of guys who look like me more or less within 50 miles of where I'm sitting. Um, and that's not great, right? And so, like, if we had more ability to experiment and provide different solutions and just to just to even show, you know, part of the, the problem is, like, a lot of the people in the tech industry, they have this sort of belief that they know what's best. Um, and they're often wrong, right? Nobody knows what's best, right? And so, like, if we could just see a lot more experiments and a lot more different ways of going about things, we could inspire other people as well. And and if it's built in a way that is more easily accessible, then it doesn't have to just be people around here either, right? I mean, it could be people around the world who say like, I have a better way to do this and I can just build, build a better solution and begin to inspire others. And, and you sort of get this, this flywheel of creativity going. And create these other solutions that take into account not just the views of, you know, tech industry guys, uh, and and you know can just build much better overall solutions that that take into account the sort of wider world that we actually live in.
1: Tracy, are you at all uh, operating in any countries or have users in places that aren't free at the moment, or that are that are partly free, uh, or that have other kinds of issues to do with internet freedoms? Is that a complication to your business in any way yet?
0: It's not an issue right now. We have no limits on who can sign up. Um, I don't think we have any users in those places. Um, but right now, it's really just like if you use Twitter, if you can use Twitter, then you could use um, Party on top of it.
1: Mike, do you see any complication to this type of thinking you know, outside of democracies or outside of uh, you know, the places that score well on things like the internet freedom survey.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of challenges and, and some of them, I think like Daphne brought up earlier in, in her uh, talk um, and Corey brought up some, some of these ideas as well is that, you know, there are risks involved in, in all of these different things. And, And when you give different levels of control and power to, to different, users, you know, not all of them are going to use it for good. Um, and so there is the risk of, you know, empowering more, you know, sort of third parties to, to, to do things that do you end up in certain countries where they basically say, well, you have to use our solution to that. And that is the one where we can spy on everything and we have control over who is saying what. Um, and, you know, and if we want to harass someone, we're going to enable that harassment and not allow it to be blocked or, or something along those lines. There's all sorts of things, and certainly risks among more marginalized populations um, and and those without power um, that it could be abused, and and that's that's a real concern that I think people definitely you know don't always take as seriously as they should, uh, and it needs to be a part of any of these conversations, and especially like I'm, I'm I to go back to sort of the crypto world, right? Like there are a lot of people in that world who don't think about that stuff at all and and have no concern whatsoever about about, um, how what they're building can be abused and and will be abused. And that concerns me. There are people now more and more who are coming into that world and saying like, wait, we have to think this through and we have to have really, you know, more thoughtful approaches to this. So I'm hopeful that that sort of thinking will begin to permeate. Um, But I do think that there are real risks um, you know, there, there are risks to, to, to any approach, obviously, when you have authoritarian governments or uh, people trying to crack down on, on marginalized groups. Um, and so, but, but having that thinking from early on, I think is really important.
0: One of so, the specific tensions I've come across a lot in working on anti-harassment is many of the anti-harassment features you can build are bad for misinformation. So, for example, like being able to disable replies to your tweets, it's good in the sense of like, oh, like if you think of the space beneath your tweet as your space um, that you should be able to control, like that's good. You can't have harassers post things there, but the replies to tweets are often where misinformation gets debunked as well. And so I think the solution that Twitter built for that was still allowing quote tweets so you can disable replies to your tweet where people can still quote tweet you and add commentary. So you have to balance these different features um, in that way uh, on things like Facebook pages where one potential anti-harassment solution might be disabling um, certain sets of words for being posted. So like you don't want people to post uh, insults or profanity at you. Um, you might want to enable like block lists, but then that also means that there can be Censorship and politicians who don't want to have certain topics discussed on their page could try to use that feature to block the discussion. So there's this tension between giving people this kind of, um, like all these tools to defend their own space, uh, but then they can also allow misinformation to proliferate. And that's just like one example of these different tensions.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Like almost all of these things have trade-offs um, and it's often, uh, you know, kind of difficult to think through the trade-offs before they get started. You know, I mean, another example of this in the, the sort of anti-harassment space is, is even like... Um, you know how some anti-harassment tools have been then used to harass people in in some ways, where it's like brigading against someone for for calling out someone for uh, you know uh, bigotry of of some form or another. Um, you know, there's there have been attacks on people, um, you know, and, and trying to get people kicked off platforms or suspended from platforms, claiming that they're they're harassing people or abusing people when it's the opposite. Um, and so, like. Again, sort of thinking through all of the different trade-offs and challenges of each of these is is really difficult. I don't think any any human being can possibly think through them all, but like coming into all of this with an open mind and allowing for more experimentation, you begin to see what works and what doesn't really quickly and the ability to kind of iterate on that and, and change and recognize like when a tool that is meant for anti-harassment is being used for harassment, something you know probably needs to be fixed or changed. Uh, I think is important, but that takes a a sort of recognition that, you know, sort of a humility in in building these tools and and how you go about them.
1: Mike and Tracy, I want to thank you so much uh, for taking us, A, Tracy, inside your company and what it's doing, Mike, inside uh, some of these incentives and uh, some of uh, what else is happening out there. That's it for this special episode from the October 7th Tech Policy Press event, Reconciling Social Media and Democracy. You can write to me at justin.techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones. Thanks to our panelists, and thank you for listening.
2: Tech Policy Press.